Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, April the 19th, 2023. It is currently 3.21 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, it's Wednesday afternoon. That means if I'm going to go live, I probably should do something that's relatively short. I can just kind of probably knock it out maybe 30 minutes, maybe 35 minutes because, well, I have to get ready because I'm supposed to be driving to Victory Baptist Church for the Wednesday evening service, or at least that's the way things are shaping up right now. That's how the things possibly is going to work. Who knows? Things can change in any moment for a little small church in the middle of nowhere, Texas. But on Wednesday nights, on Wednesday afternoons when that's occurring, then if I'm going to live broadcast, I can't go, you know, hey, let's just go all in and do a hour and a half, you know, live broadcast because that's going to mess everything up. So I know what I need to do right now. I need to be saying, hey, let's, let's talk about this or, you know, let's, let, let me remind you, like I, something short, something that I can kind of tell where the beginning is, where the middle is, and where the end is. But, of course, do I ever do what I'm supposed to do? Do I ever follow the rules? No, of course not. Here I sit on a Wednesday afternoon, April the 19th, 2023, and I'm getting ready to do something where I don't know where the end is, and I don't know how long it's going to take. I know it's. It, I'm not going to be able to finish it today, so I'll have to either finish it late tonight or finish it tomorrow, and... Yeah, I, I, I probably should not do that to myself, but here I can't, I can't resist. I can't stop. Let, let me remind you what's going on. Or if, if you haven't been listening, I don't know, I don't know exactly what day of the week it was, but I turned on this microphone and I told everyone about something called Sandals Church Anywhere. Sandals Church Anywhere. It's this new thing where basically you decide I'm going to be a Sandals Church and they send you the, the stuff that you need to basically set it up and you invite people over to your house, four or five people, a couple of couples. It could just be yourself. It could just be maybe you and one other person, but you become a Sandals Church and you watch all the, the content they produce. Uh, video, audio, whatever. And that be, kind of becomes your church. You, you, you become kind of connected to this online kind of church setup. They also, you can actually meet in person or you can just meet online. You can set up a sandals church anywhere online. And then people come into a chat room or whatever. And you're like, okay, guys, today we're going to be watching this sermon. We're going to be talking about, we're going to be discussing it. And you basically become a, again, an online church. It's, it's basically taking the church concept and saying, we're going to make this an online type of situation. Now you can critique it, you can condemn it, you can approve it. That's really irrelevant. I just like seeing what, how things, what, how things are constantly under, how things are constantly evolving, developing and changing within American Christianity and within the church. We don't always have to agree with it, but we want to at least keep an eye out on what's going on. That's why I have an entire podcast series called Eye on Christianity, because I try to keep my eye and What's happening? Because it, not only does it give me insight on where we are, but it gives me insight to where the church is going. And there's no doubt the church, I think, really going through a transformative 
period right now. I think, I think the last few years, the church is undergoing a radical transformation. I, I, I really do believe that. And I, and I think what, I don't even know, I don't think we've even seen the tip of this yet. I think, I think the, the changes are going to continue to rapidly continue. And I don't know what the church is going to look, look like five years from now, six years from now. I can't even imagine it 10 years from now, but I do believe we're under a radical transformation. So I, I've been keeping up with this sandals church anywhere concept. I downloaded their app. I've been trying to listen, trying to just kind of see what they're doing. And I noticed that the sermon for this past Sunday, was on how baptism changes you. And I'm like, ooh, how baptism changes you. Which baptism are they referring to? Water baptism? Quote unquote spirit baptism? Baptism used just as a, not speaking of a water baptism, but just as our union with Christ. Like, what are they referring to? So I'm like, you know what? Let's cue that sermon up and let's go to Sandals Church anywhere together. Even though this is not a Sandals Church and even though you're not a part of a Sandals Church, we can at least see what people who are a part of a Sandals Church. And I don't know how many of these groups exist around the country. I have no idea. But we can, in a sense, we can kind of like, we can kind of just peek in. Like we can kind of go, oh, there's a Sandals Church. My neighbor, that th- they are a Sandals Church. Let me go over there and kind of peek in. We're going to kind of look and go, oh, that's what they're doing, right? Or there's an online Sandals Church. You may not have come across anybody associated with it yet. But I, hey, look, if one does it, there will, others will follow, all right? If they can do it and be even remotely successful, Others will follow. I, I think and that's what I'm looking to, to see if this trend takes off. I mean, we, we remember the church always goes through these trends and these fads, right? Whether it's seeker sensitive, whether it's purpose driven, whether it's emergent, whether it's young, reformed and restless or young, ref, ref, uh, young, restless and reformed movement or a house church movement. There's always these different things happening within the church. Sometimes these things have a profound impact. Sometimes they have a small impact. Sandals Church, online church, anywhere. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to impact things or not. But they've done their their they've done a little bit of their research, and what they found out is after COVID, their streaming numbers did have a major drop off, but they were still way above the pre pandemic you know, numbers. So like, well, there's all these people out there now who are tuning in every week. We got to develop some kind of a church for them. And well, that's, that's what kind of gave rise to it. So I, I did a whole episode about Sandals Church. We listened to a, a video. We, I read everything about it. Uh, so we, we've, we've done that. Now let's go take a look at what a, a Sunday sermon would sound like if you were a part of Sandals Church anywhere. What would you hear? What would we experience? I don't know about you. I'm a little bit intrigued. I'm a little bit intrigued. So are you ready? Let's go to Sandals Church Anywhere on this Wednesday, April the 19th, before I go to an actual church this evening. Well, maybe, maybe I'll go to an actual church. Depending on what happened, it, I may be doing it here. See, so our, that, see, we can, we can get into all the discussions of the pros and cons of that. But here we go. You Ready? I'm going to turn off the mic and I'm going to hit play. So I hope you have your uh, thinking caps on, Bibles open, notebooks ready. Let's find out what a Sandals Church Anywhere sermon sounds like. 
I'll never forget a phone call I had with my best friend. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but this became a critical moment and a critical conversation that led to my whole life being changed. Um, I had known him since we were two years old. We grew up together. He was, he was someone I've known my whole life. And we're 21 years old. He gives me a call, and he's like, hey, man, I, I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, all right. He's kind of like slow to speak a bit. And so I go into the garage. I sit in my little Honda Civic, and um, he's like, so I got, I, got to, I got to ask you a question. I'm like, okay, go ahead. What, what are you going to ask me? And he says, um, I'm going to get baptized, and I want to know if you can help me understand what I'm about to do. Now, here's what you got to understand. We're 21. I'm not a Christian yet. But I think in his mind, because I went to the private school my whole life, and he went to the public school his whole life, that I'm going to have some kind of decent answer for him as to what baptism is. And so, thankfully, by the mercy of God, I don't remember a lot of what I shared, because I don't think it convinced anyone to get baptized. But uh, he remembers some of that conversation. And he got baptized. Now, what was uh, really impactful for me was that I could not shake this conversation. Because, again, here's my best friend. I've known him my whole life, since we were two. And all of a sudden, he's going to follow Jesus. Like, we, we used to run around in the daycare center together. We were running the playground together. Like, we, we ran things since we were two. And now he's a Christian. And he's willing to take this so far that he's going to take a bath in public. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right, interesting story. Someone wants to get baptized, but they don't know what they're doing, so they go ask a lost person for advice, it's, or to a, for an explanation. An interesting story, all right? So here, obviously, they're introducing the concept, and, and this is, a, 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 you know, one of those, like, textbook ways to preach or teach. You tell a story, try to draw the people in with your introduction, all right? Okay, are, are you interested here? Are you interested to hear more about this story? What is he? What is he? Is he going to? Is he basically going to say, just as my friend didn't know what he was doing, there's a lot of people who even go to church who don't really understand baptism. So here at Sandals Church Anywhere today, we're going to help you understand baptism in 32 minutes. In 33 seconds. Okay. Well, I don't know if you can possibly accomplish that in 32 minutes, but all right. Here we go. Let's let's see how he's going to, to handle this. Sounds good. Let's go with it. And I was so puzzled, but it actually led to me being radically changed, watching him be different, watching him take this step to follow Jesus. But I would imagine for a lot of us, we find ourselves in, in a somewhat puzzled moment, too. Like, in the modern moment today, in the modern world, we look at baptism, and it might look strange, it might sound strange, uh, and we might even talk about it in an even stranger kind of way. And I totally get that. The- that. That is something to think about. In our modern culture, I wonder how people think about baptism. That is, that, that is an interesting question, right? Um, I grew up here in, you know, West Texas. Who wasn't baptized? I mean, right? It's like you would have to look, you'd have to knock on doors for weeks. Hey, have you been baptized? Yeah, I was baptized when I was eight, went to church camp. Have you been baptized? Yeah, I was baptized when I was six uh, because the you know uh, ch- uh, children's church scared me that I was going to go to hell. Okay. 
You know, hey, have you been baptized? Yeah, I, I got baptized because I was wanting to date this girl and she would only date Christians. And so I got baptized. And like, you can find like, at least growing up, everyone had been baptized. Everyone, I mean, everyone had some kind of quote unquote conversion story here in West Texas. I mean, it was like, if you found a non-Christian, it'd be like, stop. Stop. No one move. No one move. No one move. We don't want to scare it. We don't want to scare it. It's in its natural habitat. Everyone step back. Step back. They can get very skittish. Shh. Shh. Let's not spook them. Right? Because almost everywhere you went, everyone claimed to be a Christian. Everyone claimed to be a Christian. Right? It's like, you know, you drink beer, you listen to country music, you shoot Bambi, and you go to church. And you own a truck. I mean, that's the way it was growing up in West Texas, okay? So, uh, so it was just, that's the way. And then when I moved to Nebraska, I was like, whoa, there's a lot of people here like, I don't go to church, don't. And I'm like, what happened here? What happened to Nebraska? Because in Texas, even people who didn't really, like, they, they, they had some connection to the church in some way, shape, or form. So, I mean, I, even though I wasn't raised in a Christian home, I knew what baptism was. I knew people had, you know, you got dunked into water. I, I, that's how I know. I didn't, I didn't know the sprinkling kind because again, growing up in West Texas, people were either Church of Christ or Baptist more so than anything else. There were Catholic churches, obviously, but they were always viewed as th- those are weird people. I didn't know what a Lutheran was at the time. So I knew Pentecostals. They're going to dunk people. Uh, I knew Baptist and I knew Church of Christ. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what I knew around here. So, um, so it is interesting now in 2023, I think you have, especially the younger generation, many of them never been to church. Don't really, they, not only they have not been to church, they just don't really care about spiritual questions at all. They don't, it's not that they say there isn't a God. They don't care to know if there is a God. That's really kind of Gen Z and that, that kind of younger generation. They just not even really interested. Like in, in my generation, I can remember kids, you know, maybe a Friday night after a party and, and, and when it got, you know, everyone kind of calmed down and the, and the, and the music was, was, you know, over and everything got quiet. Quiet. Sometimes in the late hours of the night, people would start talking about heaven or, you know, I wonder what happens when you die. And I wonder who God is like these deep spiritual questions. If you could find them in the right moment. Um, even when I was in the military de- deployed for desert storm and we're all sleeping on the floor and well, they took our sleeping bags from us. We, we basically were just laying on the floor covered up in our field jackets. Um, I can remember some of those late night conversations going, so what do you think happens when we die? Like these spiritual things, but the new generation is just like, they don't seem to care whether it's true or not true. So I wonder how they view baptism. I think it's an interesting question of understanding baptism and the current culture. How do they understand it? Now, if that means if they come into Christianity, baptism may be this odd, weird ceremony that they don't understand. So that, Okay. I, I think that they at least bring up an interesting point here. Modern world right now. But keep in mind, though, that at the same time, in this modern culture we find ourselves living in, people are constantly trying to understand who they belong to and to have an identity, to know who they are, to have something that makes them feel secure and safe. Why is that? Because I think baptism strangely offers us an answer. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay, that's kind of interesting. The modern culture is about identity. 
is about identity. That's why the whole, I know Christians see someone messing up with their pronouns on social media. They'll immediately go, what is happening? They want to be referred to as they or them or or here. And what is happening? Is it transgenderism? And Disney's taking over. We're all going to die. But I think in some cases, it's young people looking for an identity. That their identity is, I'm going to show solidarity with transgenders by changing my pronouns, or, or I want people to know my identity is going to be my pronoun. I'm going to, I'm going to take control of my identity and be known as they or them or, or he or him or she or her or whatever, whatever, however they want to be identified. It's, it's because it becomes their identity. It's not so much about sexuality or even sexual preference or not even a gender identity as much more as it just becomes their identity. They want to be connected to a a cause. They want to be connected to maybe something related to social justice or they, 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 they're looking because they don't know who they are and they're looking for an identity. They're trying to figure out who they are. So it would be interesting that in a culture that is scrambling and identity is so important. Baptism is where you are identifying yourself in Christ. You, in a sense, are saying, you're, especially a baptism by immersion, just think of what you're symbolizing. I died. And now I am being, I, I've died, buried, and I'm rising to now be identified with Christ. I'm not identity. Whatever my identity was prior to this is about to is about to be buried, and I'm going to rise at identifying myself as a Christian, as a follower follower of Christ. I'm going to identify identify myself with Christ. Nothing else. It is kind of a counterculture, in a sense, ceremony that says all of these other things that are competing. For, for you to find yourself and for you to identify yourself, here's some, here is the true identity is you're being identified with your creator. You're being identified with your savior. That, that's, that's a powerful way to look at it, especially in our culture where identity is so, 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 so extremely significant to every individual. They want to be identified as something. They want to be identified for a cause, for a pronoun, for their sexuality. They're, they're looking for an identity. As to an identity. Baptism at the core is all about telling you who you are and who it is that you belong to. Now, for some of us, maybe you, uh, you know, were culturally baptized. And by that, I mean, like, your grandma got baptized or your parents got baptized. So they baptized you as a very young kid. Like, it just happened to you. Maybe for others of you, you kind of went through like a season of um, like guilt or shame and like you just felt like I got to get cleansed. So let's get wet at church. Right. So you you got baptized and you're unsure as to all of that. But wherever you might be today, my hunch is this, that all of us need baptism more than we think we do. That as you step into the waters, something happens to your very soul as you come to understand who you belong to, who you actually are. Now, when he says something happens to your very soul, that makes me a little nervous because that sounds like baptismal regeneration. But is he saying something happens to your very soul because at that moment you realize who you are, you realize who you belong to, that this is a a moment in time, a ritual where you are you are clearly identifying with Christ and you're you're dying to that old identity. 
so okay it, it just depends on I, I i now he's doing a really good job of kind of showing the significance of this in our modern culture which is really good okay now i don't know what he's going to do with this theologically right i don't know what he's going to do with this theologically so i'm a little nervous but okay so th- this is interesting we're getting an idea of what a sandals church anywhere sunday morning service sounds like or and, and it okay so far they i put it this way Obviously, a very good speaker has definitely pulled me in. I'm definitely interested. I'm definitely intrigued. Now I'm a little nervous, okay? Because where is this going theologically? Are we getting ready to go full-blown baptismal regeneration? What are we getting ready to do? Inquiring minds want to know, so let's listen. And so with that in mind, let's read together from Matthew 28. I'm going to ask that if you're willing and able Uh, wherever you're at, that you would just pause, take a moment, and stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 28, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When Jesus saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, as we have gathered here today, we, we want to take a moment, God, in prayer to acknowledge that you have gathered with us too. And so we ask now, God, that you would speak to us from your word, that you might give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and that you would open our whole self up so that we might receive all that you have for us as we think about what it means to belong to you and to step into the waters of baptism. And so would you do a work now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. You can all be seated. Well, as many of you know, we are coming off uh, just an incredible uh, Easter weekend at Sandals Church. It was an amazing, amazing experience uh, as we collectively received the good news that Jesus, in fact, is alive. And that changes absolutely everything. At at all of our campuses and even with uh, many of you, a part of our online community, we saw just a profound, beautiful response to the good news that Jesus is alive. Now what? What do we do with that? What do we do with the resurrection? Which is precisely why we read Matthew 28, because uh, the end of his gospel captures not just the resurrection of Jesus, that he beat death, but that he also goes now on mission. Now, I don't know about you, But if I were to come out of the grave, I would be looking for a handful of things, namely my enemies. I'd be looking to deal with some people. I'd be looking to get some power, right? I just beat death. Who can stop me? Who can stand in front of me? But Jesus tells his disciples to meet him on the mountain because he's going to leave and then he's going to send them out. He's going to commission them. And what I love so much about this encounter is that Matthew notes that as they saw him, some people worshiped and others doubted. Take note of that, because I think that's also true of the Easter experience, the Easter weekend, the Easter story. Some people hear that Jesus is alive, their whole life can change, they can become new, and they believe, they worship, they get excited, and they're transformed in that moment. Others, they still have questions. They still doubt. 
even like those who were on the mountain there. Some doubted. And here's what I want us to consider, that both worshipers and doubters can both become disciples of Jesus. In other words, your questions, your doubts don't have to drive you from Jesus. They can actually draw you closer to him. He invites all of us to consider what it looks like to become his disciple. Even if you have... Okay, I can't dogmatically say theologically, but possibly theologically. He is separating disciple from being a believer. Possibly, possibly. Um, Because I'm assuming if you're worshiping him, you're a believer. So he's saying he wants worshipers and doubters to become disciples. Okay. And, and, okay. I, I, I think, and that's a, that's a whole big theological can of worms that we won't get into right now. People, many people like, no, discipleship is the same thing as salvation. You're like, well, look at the scriptures that say, if you're going to be his disciple, you have to do this, 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 that would make salvation based on you doing all of these things and people. And so, yeah, that becomes a major problem, major problem. But uh, I, I draw a distinction. I think we, we can become saved and a disciple is something that, that happens after we become saved. Discipleship is something that happens after. We, we could talk about that. Seems like he may be going in that similar direction. I can't say for sure. We'll just, I just have to do a lot of kind of guessing here, but pointing out when I hear something that I know has a very deep theological issue surrounding it, I'm just, I'm just trying to point that out. Here we go doubts. I experience this in my own life. As I'm growing as a Christian, I realize my questions are growing too. Like I might get more mature. Hopefully by the grace of God, I'm better as a Jesus follower, but I still have questions. I still have doubts. I still have things that I'm wrestling through. And what I find to be so helpful in my journey with Jesus is that where I don't get answers, I get him. I get his presence. I get his people. I get things that help secure me as I navigate just the mystery of life. And so first and foremost, as we come off just a grand weekend, seeing what God did through our church and through, man, thousands of churches around the world, be mindful that people are still wrestling. People are still trying to navigate what this all means for life. And the good news is Jesus calls them to still follow him too. And in so doing, he says that all authority under heaven and earth has been given to him. In other words, this is Jesus in the first person saying, I am Lord over everybody and everything. I am Lord. Therefore, Go and make disciples. Now, disciples uh, in the Greek means mathetes. That's how you say it. Can you guys say it? Mathetes. All right, look at y'all, man. Going to seminary and stuff. <laughs> the word basically means learner. Learner. Now, we don't have a great English equivalent, uh, but one that people often use is student or apprentice. So when you think about what is Jesus doing after the resurrection, after he beat death, he's looking for learners. Now, see, if we leave the word discipleship as just as a learner, well, then anyone who becomes a Christian is a disciple in the sense that we obviously are going to be learners of Jesus. The problem is, is those discipleship passages that says, if you don't do this, you're not worthy to be my disciple. If you, you know, if you're going to be my disciple, do this and do this and do this and do this. It's all these works, 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 works. Well, if you associate that immediately with salvation, then you're saying you cannot become a Christian until you're doing this. Typically, the way Christians get around it is say, well, no, 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 you just have to be willing to do it. And then if five months later, three months later, you haven't proven that you're doing it, well, then you were never saved in the first place, which just 
just as a roundabout way saying you have to do this in order to be saved, which then destroys salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone, because of an imputed righteousness alone. So then that becomes problematic. So at the simplest, I guess you could say that there is a one sense that when you become a Christian, you are a disciple because you become a learner of Jesus. But there is a, maybe there we, we should say there are levels of discipleship. That to truly become, and I'm not even saying that this works out textually, but I just know then you come into those texts and saying, wait, 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 wait. If you're going to be my disciple, you got to do this and 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 you can't do this. Well, you know, look, look at all the scriptures about being a disciple, being a, a follower of Jesus. And look at all the things that you're told you can or can't do. You have to do in order to be that. And then you can, you, we could have a, we could have a more lengthy conversation about that. Maybe we'll circle back around to it. But I just think it's something for you to at least consider. He's looking for people to become his students, to become his followers, to embrace his way of life as their own way of life. That's what Jesus is looking for. And so let me ask you, what, who would you say? you're learning the most from right now in your life? Like, who, who are your teachers? Who are the talking heads on your phones that you love to scroll to? Oh, let me get their take on this. Let me see what they have to say. Because my concern as a pastor is that certain voices have crept into the church and become dominant teachers who have no business speaking about the life of a disciple of Jesus. We have a teacher, friends. His name is Jesus. And there are certain individuals who come in the shape of political talking heads, cultural commentaries, and we can be drawn in. And so ask yourself, is Jesus your teacher? Are you his student? Is his way of life filling your life so that you are following him. And the first sign that you are, in fact, a student and apprentice, according to Jesus, is that you get baptized. You get baptized. You see, this is how the journey of Easter becomes the journey of your life. You step into the waters of baptism. And in so doing, you are announcing that something new is happening in your life. Now, what exactly is new? What's exactly happening? That's what we're going to talk about. Because what is baptism? Plain and simple, as easy as I can say it, is this. Baptism is a symbolic act that's announcing a few things. It's a symbolic act, first of all, that announces that your life is now connected to Jesus' life. In that. All right, so we know this is not sacramental. So it's symbolic. It's symbolic and it's announcing, it's symbolizing that now your life is somehow connected with the life of Christ. You're united with Christ in some way, shape, or form. All right. So, all right. This, this is Sandals Church anywhere and people, there are these, you know, groups all over the place. This, this is what they heard on Sunday. Very interesting. All right. So it's not, it's clearly not sacramental and that there, it's a symbolic act where you are symbolizing, you are announcing your connection with Jesus. You're united to Jesus. I am united to Jesus. When he uses that phrase there in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name, he's saying that God is weaving your name into his own name. God identifies with you and I when we get baptized. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we claim no other names but his name, but it's that Jesus himself identifies with you, and you identify with him. You are united to him. You have a new place to belong. You have a new loyalty. Listen now, you have a new allegiance. Your allegiance lies with him. And so when you're getting baptized, you're publicly saying that my whole self and life belong to Jesus. And this is why, in a lot of ways, this act is much like a wedding ceremony. When two people come together, and two become, as Scripture says, one. Because, you know, when you, when you meet someone, and you fall in love with them, and you want to get married, the proposal, sure, is great. You probably spent too much money on it. You plan it. You stress over it. But the proposal is just one step, right? When someone asks me, when did I get married? I don't name the proposal date. I don't give them that date. I say December 3rd, 2011. I got it right, Ashley, right? <laughs> because that's when we got married. That's when I went public with my unity to Ashley. My whole life is now in her hands and hers and mine. It's that moment when it happened. Right? Imagine for a second, like someone tells you, hey, I really like you. I love you. Like, let's get married, but let's just not tell anyone. It's not just, you know, we're not going to do anything about it. Like, you got to ask, do you really love me? Because you want this to be known. And so listen now, baptism is to your relationship with Jesus what your wedding is to your relationship with your spouse. It's that significant. Theologians have this word called union, and that's what this is after. You are uniting yourself to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but every single day, I need to be personally reminded that I am united to Christ. Now, I would just add this point of clarification that baptism symbolizes the union that has already occurred by faith. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I am united in him. His his righteousness is imputed to me. I am in him. He is in me. That happens at salvation. Baptism symbolizes, and I'm now professing, I'm telling everyone, I, I'm symbolizing this unity that already exists. The, un, the union doesn't begin at baptism, the human, the union precedes baptism. It comes before baptism and then it, you symbolize it. You're symbolizing you're united with him. You are forever linked with him. He's now become your identity. Right. I, I, I like this. Now I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I, you know, we're already at 34 minutes and I don't know how far we're gonna get in this, but I, I've got to tell you, I got, I have to say this. I'm somewhat shocked when I saw the Sandals Church anywhere and we did that first broadcast. I'm just going to be, and you know, we, we watched the, like their little introduction video. We looked at the website. I was skeptical at best of what people would actually get by being a part of one of these things. I would kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know. I, I'm a, to be honest, I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, I, this is nothing super crazy. It's well spoken. He's 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 trying to help us understand this very important theological uh, subject. He he's connecting it with how culture may see it. He's he I, I I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit surprised. I really am. I I I, I don't know what I was. I was expecting a train wreck right out of the gate. I was just like I was like don't. 
and it's it's not I, I don't know is it just me or are you a little bit surprised that Sandals Church anywhere this online church that that kind of teaching or are you are you shocked by that surprised by that I know I, I've visited a lot of in person churches that don't even give this good of teaching. And they spend who knows how much money to maintain the building and all of that. So, you know, yeah, we can go back to that. I, I, I don't, I'm a little surprised. Now it may, it may turn into a train wreck here in a minute, but at, at the, however how far we're into to listening to this, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. So let's see what happens. Like when I get up in the morning and I feel the weight of the day and who I am and who needs me, I got to first be reminded that I belong to Jesus. When I get on the freeway, God help us in Southern California, I need to be reminded that I belong to Jesus. When I deal with people, i got to be reminded that I belong to Jesus. Because if we're not careful, there are movements in the world, there are powers at work in the world, there are people and groups of the world that are drawing us in, enticing us to belong to them, to give our allegiance to them. And we got to say, with all the confidence, if we've been baptized, no. No, my allegiance is first and foremost to King Jesus. That's where my allegiance lies. It's Christ over everything else. Christ over everything else. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is to whom I belong. That's where my allegiance lies. That's where my loyalty goes. Now, I've got to be careful and clear because in life we have all kinds of different, you know, harmless forms of allegiances. Uh, like we like particular brands, right? we like particular kind of foods or restaurants. Like we have parts, the things that we just align with that are like, yeah, this is a part of who I am. This is a part of my life, and they're harmless, right? Some of you have brand allegiances. I have a significant sports allegiance. Right? <laughs> I'm a diehard Laker fan to the core. And here's the thing: you cannot change my mind about this. <laughs> And there are some days where it does not make sense. Like the stress to my neurological system is so unneeded. But I'm aligned to them. My allegiance is to them. And here's the thing. Here's what you need to, do, to know. The, the Lord is a Laker fan too. He's a Laker fan. I'll prove this to you. There's a scripture. Here it comes. The Lord, L-A-W-D, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And the broken-footed, or broken feet, whatever, however you say it. Right? And as a Laker fan, yes, we have tons of glory, 17 titles. But we also have a lot of suffering. And the Lord is close to us. And our favorite players are regularly hurt. Broken feet. But that's where my allegiance lies. But there are dangerous forms of belonging in the world today. That we need to be able to name and say, no, I have been baptized and I ultimately belong to Jesus. We need to be able to say Christ over family. The, the confusing words of Jesus, if you don't hate mother and father, you can't be my disciple. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. That's a little harsh. Now, I like this because he's saying baptism symbolizes this identity, this union with Christ. And this identity, this union has to be, you know, we have, it has to be above everything else. But then he tries to bring in balance, right? Hey, 
You can't say, well, look, because you're identified with Jesus, you can't be identified as liking this or loving this or this is your hobby. Like, there's got to be a balance. But there is some areas where it does come into play and you've got to be more aligned and have allegiance to Jesus over these other things. That That is offering up, trying to offer a balanced biblical perspective to it. Now, you could talk about the humor. Some people hate when pastors make jokes. Some people, I'm not a big fan of making jokes using scripture. I'm not a big fan of doing that, but okay. But wrestle with what he's saying about who you ultimately prioritize in your life. Christ over myself. Jesus says, die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. I got to submit my own desires, my longings, my dreams Sit under Jesus as Lord. Christ over country. Let me say it again. Christ over country. I belong to a nation. I am grateful for where I'm at. But I have a king and a kingdom who I ultimately answer to. Christ over now the power of sin. So that the things in my life that have gripped me, haunted me, continue to leave me down dark roads, no longer have the same power over me. And of course, we have to get that. That's like the Christianity is not Christianity unless you're telling someone you now have power to stop sinning, but then we have to modify it. Well, it's not enough power to keep you from being perfect, but you're still going to, it almost without fail, I don't care where you go, Christians are incapable of putting the focus on imputed righteousness and say by grace alone, through faith alone, it's always like, now that you have Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, you have the power. And you can do it, but I mean, not perfectly. I mean, you can stop sinning. Well, I mean, you can't completely stop sinning, but you got power. I mean, I mean, you can really do really bad stuff, but you got power. It, it's it's uh, okay. Yeah. Christ over those things too. Listen to Paul's language in Colossians 2, where he says, having been buried with him in baptism, buried with him in baptism. In other words, when you step into the waters... You step into a cemetery. You are identifying with the death of Jesus. And I completely agree that you are identifying with him in his death. But here's the thing. You are identifying with him and the reality of that symbol is your positional standing in Christ, not your practical life. And the problem is we teach that the symbolic picture of baptism becomes a literal reality in your everyday life, which is absolutely not true. Clearly, you're not dead because you keep sinning, you keep desiring sin, and you want that which God says no to every single day. So clearly, you're not dead. I'm dead positionally. I am not dead practically. I, this is what drives me crazy when we get to these subjects. No one seems to ever want to make this very important theological distinction. I do walk into the waters. I do identify with his death. I do symbolize death, burial, resurrection. But that's true of my positional standing in life. The old me is very much alive. The sin nature is not eradicated. I am clearly not dead because I clearly want that which is opposed to God's word. And Paul goes on, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Death and resurrection are symbolized in you going down 
coming back out. He goes on to say, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, pause. Here's what I love. Paul, in talking about this document that was nailed, he's speaking about first century imprisonment. This is the imagery he's calling up. In other words, you could have been thrown into prison for debts that you couldn't pay. And over your cell would have hung what you owed and what the punishment for what you owed is going to cost you. And Paul is saying, in Christ, he took that off your cell door and he nailed it to the cross. So that all of those things are now gone. And he disarmed the powers and authorities. In other words, the dark forces at work in this world have no more claim on you. Now, what we need to do, if anybody wants to, you know, do a little extra research for extra credit, we need to research how accurate that story is. Because a lot of times in sermons, someone will say, this is what they used to do. And then you go find out, no, there's no evidence that they ever did that, but it got found in some Christian book. So can we prove that, Back at the time of Jesus, back at the time of Jesus and before, that if you owed all these debts or whatever your crimes were, they were placed on a piece of paper and placed above your cell. And that Jesus is using that imagery that he took that thing that would be put upon your cell and nailed it to his cross. Is that the image? Is that image coming from something very cultural at the time? Can we verify that? If you, if you do the research, let me know what you find. I need the source that you are referencing and we need to verify it in more than one source. If you find it in a book that says it's true, Where did the book get the information? We need primary sources to see if that is true. It would be fascinating if it is, and it would make a, makes a powerful image and makes for a powerful preaching, but we want to verify it. So if you can verify it, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, send that to me ASAP. Please give me the source from which you found that the information. In other words, you don't have to answer anymore to the power of sin in your life or the penalty of sin. It's all gone. It's been buried with him. The power of sin is still very much present in my life. Practically, positionally, it no longer exists and it is gone. You've got to draw that distinction. Because if you tell everyone the power of sin is gone, you know, then what happens when the people leave and they continue to sin? You lead to despair, discouragement, and deconstruction. That's what you lead to. Everything. Your past addictions... Your failures. Your past addiction doesn't go away simply because you get saved. That's just absolutely 1000% false. I mean, it just doesn't happen. People get saved and their addictions come with them. Their struggles come with them. Their failures come with them. Their, their sin, na- because their sin nature does not go away. In Christ, they are a new creature. Oh, the old is gone and everything is new. In life, you're the same old you with the same old nature, with the same old struggles and the same old, same old difficulties, anxiety, worry, depression, fear, any mental health issue. They're all there. 
They don't go away. And Christianity always wants to try to convince people, no, it's all gone. It's not gone practically. It's gone positionally. The only way for this to be true practically is then the, you're, you're literally teaching the eradication of the old nature and that we can be sinlessly perfect because there's no other way to teach what you're claiming and then say, well, no, 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 no. You still have the sin nature and you're, and you're not going to be perfect. It's just not. Um, Oh, yes, yes. Uh, someone just says the whole addictions will go away thing you know, drives me nuts. Oh, it absolutely drives me nuts, too. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I can't stand it. Drive, okay. oh, no, it doesn't go that way. It doesn't. We, oh, it just doesn't. Okay, all right. Your envy, your jealousy, your pride, your lust, all of it is now dead. It's dead. The sin done to you. It's only dead positionally. It's very much alive practically. Okay. Don't tell me that you get saved at 17 or 18 and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm saved. My lust is gone. I, I'm never going to struggle with wanting to have premarital sex with my girlfriend. Forget a 17 year old. You can be 50. You can be 40. You can lust, desire, sin that it's still there. It doesn't go away. It's only dead. And in, in regards to my position in Christ, it's not dead in my practice. Why does Christianity, why is it incapable? And I, look, this, this goes beyond, this has nothing to do with this being an online church. You can find this in a, a Presbyterian church. You can find this way of thinking in a Baptist church, in a Lutheran church, a dispensational, covenantal, lordship, non-lordship. It, everyone just goes to this way of thinking. Um, yes, yeah, someone says, I was baptized and mine is alive. Well, you, you, you get baptized again, I guess. I guess your baptism didn't work. Come on. It's buried. It should not be there. You shouldn't have any problems. I don't have any problems. I, 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 I no, obviously I have every single problem you can imagine. I just, it's just Christians are incapable. It's almost like some delusion sets in. Hey, I got saved and it's all dead and everywhere around us in every church. Sin, 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 moral failure, moral failure, moral failure. We fell God in our thoughts and our words and our desires and our feelings and in our actions. We, we fell God externally, internally. I mean, give me a break. We continue to sin. Therefore, these things are not dead. How can you say they're dead and they're only dead positionally? Now, that positional reality, that's the challenge for us to try to live it out in practical life. It doesn't mean we just give up and do whatever we want. It means we do strive, but we got to start off with a, a real a reality check. Hey, your sin nature is still there. Your lust is still there. All those struggles are still there. The abuse, the betrayal, the infidelity, the harm, the ways that people have excluded you, all of that is done too. It's all gone. What you want. Yeah, when I got saved, everything that ever happened to me as a kid was just gone. It was just gone. All the abuse, just gone. All the neglect, just, that's just, such trash. I'm sorry. It was gone positionally in Christ, but it was very much alive in my heart and in my mind. And I still have struggles with it all of the years later at different and specific times. 
So if, if, he's tr- if he means this positionally, we're exactly on the same page. If he's trying to say this is true practically, then, I, then I've got, well, problems. Once word, you no longer are in Christ. You are brand new. Absolutely. What I'm no longer what I was in Christ. That's the that's the key phrase in Christ. Speaking of my position. I'm no longer what I was in Christ. Positionally, I he's 100% correct. I just don't think he's he's not drawing that distinction. That that phrase should draw the distinction, but you're going to have to explain it. Okay, yeah, okay, they just said, there, uh, someone's looking at their belief statement and said it would suggest practically. Well, see, there, that's, that's, that's Christianity at large. I mean, like I'm saying, this stuff shows up everywhere. I don't care. It shows up everywhere. And it, it's just, it, it's almost like it, it, it knows no theological boundary. Like this stuff just creeps across every theological system. This just this way of thinking is just everywhere in Christianity. Brand new in him now. Christ over the power of your of sin, the power of your past, all of it has been buried. You belong to him. You belong to Jesus. You're united to him. And and I share this with you because I think uh, I don't think I know that many of us, I think, are tempted to forget our baptism. We're tempted to forget what we went through and who we are now in Christ because we so easily define ourselves by our past, what we once were, what we once did, so much so that we, we tend to go back to that old place in our thinking in our acting, and our relationships. And so, as a pastor, I'm concerned that some of us are at risk of forgetting our baptism, forgetting who we ultimately belong to. In the same way that I wear a ring as a married man, or as I celebrate my anniversary every December 3rd, you need to renew your vows and remember your baptism. Like for those of you today who are being baptized, write this date down. Don't forget who you are. You are new now. You are united to Jesus. You are new in your position. You're still very much the old you in practice. To deny that is to deny literal reality that you know is true, no matter how much you try to Christianize it, dress it up, and pretend otherwise. You know what's inside of you. You know it. It's still there. Even more so, this symbolic act announces that we are united, not just to Jesus, but to Jesus' family. Like, have you ever thought about as to why you don't baptize yourself? You ever see anyone just try to dunk themselves? (laughs) Somebody else baptizes you. It's a passive act. You receive this act. Which is why I think Paul lays out this picture for us there in Galatians chapter 3. 
He's wanting us to understand the role of being a part of Jesus' family. Listen to what he says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you all, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, if you belong to Christ, listen now, you're Abraham's seed. We'll get into that in a second. And heirs according to the promise. Now the language here is baptized into Christ. In other words, this new position you hold is a position you hold that's over and against every other position you might hold in society. All are one in Christ. So when this act happens to you, you are actually brought into a family. Another person in the family of God baptizes you. A disciple baptizes a new disciple. And so you might have a position outside of church, but in here there's neither Jew nor Gentile. That title doesn't matter. In here you're family. All right, now, now Paul isn't, listen now, like trying to end all differences in society, but what he is saying is that those differences no longer become the means by which we measure ourselves or other people in the church. For we are all one in Christ. This is a powerful countercultural picture of what a family is to be. Not based on accolades, position, uh, ethnicity, gender. We are one in Christ. And so I don't care how rich you are or how poor you are, you got to step into the waters. The same waters. You might have a beautiful corner office, top story, or you might sweep streets. You're the same in here. You're equal in here. We all get into the waters. We all do. Why? Because every single one of us in this moment, in this room, and whoever's watching, we all share a desperate need for Christ. We all do. And the good news is that everything that is true of Jesus is now true of us as a family member. Everything true about him is now true about us. Positionally, positionally. Now, he did mention the word position there, I think, you know, once or twice, but he's not really articulated it. And, 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 and he's not he's not making it clear. But it, it, I mean, that, that's oh, you got to make this clear because it can lead to profound confusion and discouragement and disillusionment and just not understanding as his followers and his children, and that unites us. And, and this is special for me, man, because this weekend I'm going to baptize my own son, Eli, which is pretty cool, yeah. And, um, you know, as a, as a dad, there, there's a lot of things that hopefully you get to hear as a parent. Hopefully they're good things. A lot of good things you get to hear from people, but there's, there's nothing quite like hearing your son just share that he, he wants to follow Jesus. Um, and asking him, you know, do you know what you're doing? Do you know why? He said, God, I, he said Dad, I, I want to be forgiven by God. And he wants to be forgiven by God. That happens before baptism. He doesn't have to get baptized to get forgiven by God, unless you're saying baptism is the thing that brings about the forgiveness of sins, which then it would not be symbolic, it would be sacramental. That's bizarre. 
If, if you're saying, and maybe it's just he's emotional and he's not articulating that clearly, but it almost sounds like, hey, why, why are you getting baptized? I want to be forgiven by God. Well, you don't need to get baptized to be forgiven by God. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for all your sins. Forgiveness is found in his finished work. Baptism symbolizes your union and connection with what Jesus did for you. Uh, man, for all the ways that I have just not been a great parent, a great dad. That gives my soul life. Like, like he wants to be a disciple. I love that. And I, I hope he does. Hope he's not doing it because his dad's a pastor and he's following his parents. Because there's always that age where a kid will do whatever mom and dad is doing. Because mom and dad is the apple of their eye, the hero of their life. And it's their everything. And then all of a sudden, one day they're going to wake up like, why in the garbage did I do that? Hopefully that's not the case. I hope that's not the case. But I always get that concern. But all right, here we go. And uh, we're, having, we're having this conversation the other day. We're on the couch. And I say, uh, Eli, you know, I'm trying to explain this idea of family. And I said, like, I'm, I'm always going to be your dad. You're, you're always going to be my son. But the Bible says that you, uh, you now are a brother in Christ. Like, we're not just a family, but we are in Jesus' family. We are in the family, the family that God has been making since everything went to crap throughout the world. We're going to be part of that big family now. And you have all kinds of... You thought you had a lot of aunts and uncles? You got way more now, right? <laughs> you have, and, and we get to be brothers. Like, this is an amazing thing for you to experience, even as a nine-year-old. And uh, he says, That's, yeah, Dad. I'm like, oh, cool. Not the response I was looking for. <laughs> but, and then he said, Dad, when did you get baptized? And I said, 21, son. And he goes, 21. Can you do something for me? I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Trying to have a sacred moment. He quotes a Drake lyric. And I'm like, all right, this moment, we're going to just move on. <laughs> but, man, here, here's the thing. When you... That doesn't concern you a little bit. That he just quotes a Drake lyric and he's just kind of done with the conversation. That doesn't concern you. I don't know. Just just a slight bit without not making you go. Mm, I'm not so sure he gets it yet. I'm not. Maybe we should slow this thing down a little bit. Maybe maybe we should just wait. You know, maybe maybe till he's ten. I don't know. Maybe eleven. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we should wait till he sh- truly truly understands what he's doing. I, I don't know. Okay, but all right. You look around at people right now. They're your family. They're your brother and your sister. They're who you belong to. And at some point, all of us step into the waters and have our souls transformed and introduced into this family. Okay, I, I, I hate that language. We step into the water and our souls are transformed. They ha- it, the transformation takes place before the baptism, not when we get in the water. The water is symbolizing it. Unless you're going, unless you're teaching a sacramental view, then then just say that. But he, he's made it symbolic, so it, it's, oh. And, and in the same way that we would attend the wedding of a family member, hopefully if we got invited, we should attend the baptisms of our family members. We should prioritize them. We, we should see them as important. 
Yeah, someone, someone the same thing is, just said, I'm so confused. Is it a symbol or not? He goes back and forth. Yeah, he keep he keeps going back and forth with his language because he almost has made it sound like, I mean, look, I mean, the title of the message is how baptism changes you. So the title seems to make it not symbolic. And then his language in the message at times is making like, this is what happens to you when you step into the water. But then he said he defined it as symbolic, meaning then it doesn't do that. It simply demonstrates that. So he, he's definitely not shown theological clarity as much as I'm in, I impressed. Well, how well this has gone considering, Hey, we're Sandals Church anywhere. Have church at your house. I, I didn't know what to expect. So in some ways I'm impressed that it's has been as good as it has. But then of course it's kind of now gone off the rails and it's going into theological. I, oh, I don't know where it's going. To celebrate and acknowledge, man, we are one in Christ today. And I want to celebrate you and, and, and honor you. And as we do, we join not just this family, but thirdly now, this symbolic act announces that I am united to Jesus' mission when he talks about going and making disciples. You know, we read there in Galatians 3, Paul uses this phrase, Abraham's seed. A bit strange. Heirs of the promise. What promise? What he's referring to back is here in Genesis 12, maybe one of the most important passages in the Old Testament, God made a promise to a family. The Old Testament is all about promises made, promises kept. And God makes a promise to Abraham, and this is what he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those. Uh, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. To Abraham and Sarah, who have no children, they are promised children. Children that will outnumber the stars. And this family lineage, these stars of children, will become a blessing to the entire world. There's one particular heir from his family who fulfills this promise, and his name is Jesus. And so when Jesus gives to us, in Matthew 28, the commission, he is in fact reinstating the Abrahamic promise to bless the world. You see, to make disciples, to help people get baptized and to learn all that Jesus taught and to obey him is in fact to bless the world. They're not different things. They are the same thing. So that when you are a disciple going to work, you are to bless the world in your work. When you are a a Christian, a disciple going into the home, you are to bless your home with your life in Jesus, in your relationships, all the ways that you relate to food, people, events. It is as if Jesus is relating to those things himself, and you're to do so in a way that blesses everybody and everything. This is what it looks like to make disciples, to bring them into this moment. And this is the mission that we get to be a part of. Man, you, as you step into the waters, you say, man, Jesus, I belong to you, and I am surrendering my life, my will, my dreams to be a part of what you want to do. Look, I, I think it's wonderful that you want to say, look, everyone, I'm surrendering all of this to Jesus. But as soon as you get out of that water and get in your car and go home, you're going to realize really quick you haven't surrendered anything. It's it's a, it's a beautiful sentiment, right? I surrender all to you, but you don't surrender all because you have a sinful nature that's like, <laughs> I'm not surrendering anything, buddy. Get out of my life, okay? Like that... I, 
what you symbolize is that you've died, you've been buried, you've risen now to follow Christ. And I got no problem if you even want to use the word mission. We are to follow him and what he calls us to do and be. But listen, we, we are one thing positionally, we're something different practically. And you can stand in the waters and tell everyone, hey, I'm surrendering everything to Jesus today. But anyone who knows you is going to see, uh, you know, five minutes later, you haven't surrendered. You may get baptized and be in World War III with your spouse 30 minutes after your baptism. You may be, get baptized and three days later, spend four hours looking at pornography. That's the reality of it. As much as Christians don't want to believe that, it's just the reality of it. Because what you are positionally is not what you are practically. I don't know why Christians struggle with this concept so much. Because finally, maybe for the first time, you actually see what life has been worth living for. And you guys, this is not that hard. I know that sounds strange. Because sharing with people about Jesus feels terrifying in 2023. But I just think back. What happened if Donovan never calls me? My best friend. He's a young disciple. Barely started following Jesus. Probably doesn't know where the New Testament's at. (laughs) And he says, what do you think about baptism? As I've been thinking about that story and so grateful to God that Donovan called me, my best friend, man, he's called me a lot, (laughs) but I am grateful for this call because he, whether he realized it or not, was beginning to disciple me, you guys. He was beginning to show me the way of Jesus. That's weird. That, That wouldn't be called discipleship. You weren't a believer. He was beginning to evangelize you, not disciple you. You disciple believers. You don't disciple an unbeliever. You started your story with saying you weren't saved. You weren't a Christian yet. So how can he be discipling you if you're not even saved? Okay, that, that's, that's, uh, that's bizarre. Jesus, by doing what? Simply sharing what was happening in his own life. Fredo, I'm getting discipled. What do you think? You went to the Christian school. Uh, It's good. (laughs) But out of that convo, the Spirit birthed something in my own soul because I couldn't. Oh, I can't stand the music in the background. When you get ready to get to the, he's going to bring it home. Now he's got to dry, he's got to do the conclusion with the dramatic. I, I need, I need to start having music play right when I get ready to wrap up my podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense of why this man was following Jesus, but it drew me in. It drew me in. And I think there's a beautiful opportunity for all of us to begin to think about who's that person that you need to call. Text, invite over for a meal, have a conversation with, and just simply begin to develop relational equity, be curious about their life, and share maybe what God is doing in your life. And if there's an opportunity, share where you think God is working in their life. Because here's the great promise of the end of Matthew 28. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, God is constantly with his people and he is constantly present to people all the time. He is closer to us. St. Augustine said that God is closer to us than we are to our own selves. 
And what oftentimes scares us to be on mission is that we forget Jesus is right there next to us. He is standing with you. When you're speaking, he's speaking. When you're not speaking, he's speaking. And when you're not doing anything, he's doing a million things. God is with you as you go forward. And so allow his presence, the gift of that statement, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, to be a a mechanism that drives out fear and security and anxiety because, man, there is no better life than the life of a disciple of Jesus who is helping to bring other people in and bless them. And so I want to encourage some of you today who maybe you're, you're a Christian, you've been baptized, you need to remember your baptism today and to celebrate the family that you belong to. Others of you, I want to encourage you to take this step and to know the sensation of having your debt erased as you plunge yourself into the waters, as, as you are submersed and baptized and the past is gone and the new has come to step into that opportunity because on the other side is awaiting a life that you can never possibly imagine. Once again, it makes it sound like baptism is the thing that causes it. Oh, it's so, it's so wishy-washy. Is that, is that is no pun intended? And just be open to the possibility that what you see and what you dream is just a tiny fraction of God's dreams for you, of his vision for you. When I walked into that garage to get on the phone with my friend, I had no idea the life I would ultimately step into. It's a profound one. And this weekend I get to dunk my son into that. This is a beautiful environment. See, once again, I get to dunk my son into that. That, that when he gets in the water, the, he, he, I am so confused. Look, man, I was so, I was trying to be so positive at the beginning of this going, Hey, this was much better than I thought it would be. And now it turns into a theological mess. You're not dunking him into it. You're symbolizing that supposedly your child, your nine-year-old has experienced salvation and all of these things have happened. (laughs) You're not dunking him into it unless you believe that actually causes it. Then it's not symbolic. It's sacramental. It's a means of grace which produces it. Can you pick a side? Invitation for all of us to realize there is so much more in baptism that we need. Let's pray together. Well, there you have it. Sandals Church Anywhere. That was the sermon that was preached last Sunday. Again, I would challenge you to look for the Sandals Church Anywhere app. Um, I think I have it right here. It's called Sandals Church. And I'm looking at the app and you can, you can look at, uh, well, all the stuff that they have here. There's a lot here about the app I'm not a big fan of. Um, yeah. Yeah, here we go. Step into the waters, April the 15th and 16th. That's what That was the sermon. I don't know when the latest sermon, the newest sermon will be uh, published, but step into the waters, uh, April 15th and 16th. There it is. You can have the outline. You can have everything. And there you go. You, yeah, da- download the Sandals Church app just so that you know what's going on. And I'm going to keep up with it each week just to see 
what they're doing. Uh, that right there is, is, is a mess. Uh, Yeah, okay, someone just says the website seems to suggest an ordinance perspective, but the, he definitely went back and forth. There was something weird going on. Yeah, it was so weird. It was so, like, and, and, I, and I truly mean that, that when he started off, I was like, wow, this is, he, I, I mean, look, we, we've been, we were, I, I was listening, I'm way behind now. I was listening to a church that's doing a year and a half, you know, sermon series through the Gospel of John. And I, I got so sick of it because it was it was horrible. It was just I don't know what it was. There was no content there. There it was just so bad. This at least there's content there. At least at least there's something. It was well structured. It was put together. And this is an online church, so I'm very much like impressed with the, his ability to communicate. And there was a lot there that I was like, okay, he really gets, he gets this idea. Oh, it's, it's symbolic. Okay. All right. It's not sacramental. There's, and then all of a sudden it just started going to this really weird, like, what are you doing? What are you do? I don't understand where you're going. I, I, I have no clue. Um, you know, and he looks like a young guy. So maybe it's just, he, he doesn't have the theological, I, I don't, maybe he doesn't understand the theological issues. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I, it's just so weird. It, there, there's a lot of positive there, but I, I don't like, man, if it's symbolic, then you can't say you get into the waters and then this you get. No, you got it before you get into the waters because <laughs> the waters are going to symbolize what is already true. And he definitely needs to learn the distinction between position and practice. All right, I'll stop right there. You can let me know what you think. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. I've just spent 76 minutes on a Wednesday afternoon where I need to be getting ready for Wednesday night. So where I'll go try to speak for another hour, but that's Sandals Church Anywhere. Love to get your thoughts all about everything they are trying to do. Read about them, look up their website, get their app, subscribe to their podcast. They got, they got podcasts, they got sermons, they got apps, they got a website. They got so much going on. Look at what they're doing just so that you may get a glimpse of possibly where the church could be headed in the future. I'm not saying that their model is going to catch on. But we need to at least be familiar with it. All right. Thanks for listening. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I've got to hurry. I got a lot to do. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.